There used to be a family uh, in our neighborhood who each Christmas season decorated their house with special attention. Every square inch of the facade of their house was covered with lights, and these lights were something to behold. As a matter of fact, uh, I felt a little bit dangerous to look at these lights because they were shining so bright and, and they were changing colors so frequently, I was afraid that I might have a seizure looking at it. That said, I love Christmas lights. When it is done beautifully, I think there's something really fitting about uh, light shining in darkness because the sight of beautiful light that pierces the gloom of darkness is a wonderful and a fitting symbol for Jesus' birth. And so I love Christmas lights. And I also love the feasting and the giving and receiving of gifts that we do in this season. Uh, They are the rituals of celebration, aren't they? And we know why we celebrate. But the thought occurs to me as I look at these festive decorations, these wonderful things that we do to celebrate, it occurs to me that so many people actually do not understand what they are celebrating. And my heart's desire is that if only, if only everyone would understand more fully and truly the reason we celebrate. Because if you do, you cannot help but sing. And this morning, our aim is to remember and to reflect afresh the reason why we celebrate. And we start that this morning by asking the question, who rules the world? Who rules the world? Now notice here how Luke's account of Jesus' birth begins with the decree of a powerful king, Caesar Augustus. Now Caesar Augustus was the grandnephew of Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar later adopted Caesar Augustus as his adopted son and heir. And Augustus, later in his life, insisted on the divinity of his adopted father, Julius Caesar. And Augustus was later himself called Divine Augustus Caesar, son of a god, imperator of land and sea, the benefactor and savior of the whole world. The gall of that man. He styled himself a son of a God and the benefactor and savior of the whole world. The audacity, the presumption of that man. And it was this Augustus with divine pretensions and ambitions that declared a worldwide census. And you just have to laugh at that. Because, you know, in the ancient world, there are basically two reasons why you would ever take census. The first reason is for collecting taxes. You know, you need to know how many people there are so you can figure out how much money, how much tax to collect. 
The second reason for taking census is for military service. You need to figure out how many young men there are so they can fight your war. Now think about that. This man, Augustus Caesar, with pretensions to be uh, divine, he actually depended utterly on his subjects. He needed their money. He needed them to fight his war. Augustus built his empire on the backs of his subjects. Still, he was the emperor, and if he issues a decree, that decree needs to be obeyed, and his decree was for a worldwide census. That means even Jews living far away from Rome had to obey, and that included Joseph. And Joseph, we read, was of the house and lineage of David. It's really hard to put in more graphic terms how debased David's throne and and his line is. Uh, Joseph hails from once a proud and powerful family, but by this time, Israel is being ruled by foreign powers, And Joseph, although he descended from the king's line, he is an insignificant poor man with no other choice but to make this difficult journey at the most inconvenient and difficult of times. So Joseph went to the city of David, Bethlehem, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, the journey from Galilee to Bethlehem is a difficult journey. Uh, and how much more so for a woman who is about to give birth. And every difficult and slow step reminded them of the oppression they lived under. And at last, they reached Bethlehem. And I'm sure uh, due in no small part to the strain and the stress of the journey, Mary went into labor. She gave birth to Jesus. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and finding no place for her baby, she laid him in a manger. Now, that part we are all familiar with, aren't we? But I think sometimes we forget what a, what a tragic scene this is. Because Joseph and Mary are in Bethlehem because of Caesar's decrees. Do you realize what's happening here? Their lives are driven and controlled by the ambitions of a powerful man they have never once met. And they are powerless. They have no saying in what is happening in their lives. So I think we need to recognize that we are looking at a young couple, Joseph and Mary, And from a human perspective, this is a tragic story. But at the same time, scriptures make sure that we understand that there was another power at work. Because it was the Old Testament prophet Micah that said that David's son, the Messiah, the king of Israel, will be born in Bethlehem. That is to say, Jesus was born in Bethlehem Bethlehem as God decreed. 
You see, it is tr- it was true, and it is true, that it was Caesar in his pompous and pretentious ambition who thought that he ruled the world, and it is true that he issued a decree that brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. However. It was actually in fulfillment of God's ancient decree that the king of Israel will be born in Bethlehem. And what that tells us is this. The mightiest of earth's emperors are God's servants. Even when they have no thought to God's glory, even they have no desire for righteousness and building God's kingdom, even when they are acting out of selfish interest in their ambition and in their pride, even the most powerful people and institutions of the world are but serving the Lord's holy and righteous purposes. And that ought to give us a measure of comfort in our heart. How often do you feel like your lives are being controlled by forces and powers that you cannot, you have no saying in? where you go, where you work, what you do. They all seem to be so out of your control. And indeed, they are out of your control. Because so much of what happens in our lives, they're not of our own decision and our desire. They're just there. They're happening to us. And it's sometimes possible for us to feel so dejected, so discouraged, so broken. But remember this. When the powers of the world, even when they act selfishly, pridefully, with no regard to God, His purpose and His will, they are but serving the holy and righteous purpose of our God. So that answers the first question, who rules the world? Our God does. And if He does, the second question is, how does God reign? How does God reign? Now notice that Jesus was not born in a palace. And his birth was not announced to the VIPs of the world. You know, it's, it's the, the people with money means the connections of this world who know the inside story. And if you go to a concert... You get to go to the backstage only if you're the VIP and maybe pay extra money. In this world, the way things work in this world, you have to be important. You have to be powerful. You have to have money to really be the insider. But Jesus was not born in a palace. And his birth was not announced to the important VIPs of the world. Instead, he was laid in a manger. And the news came first to the shepherds out in the field. And that is very significant. Because if we read Luke chapter 1, when Mary hears the angel's words about what God was about to do, how she, though she was a virgin, that she would conceive by the Holy Spirit and of her would be born the Savior of the world. This is what Mary said in Luke chapter 1. She said, God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And that's already beginning to happen here because Jesus' birth was not announced to the important and all-powerful Caesar Augustus. 
His birth was not announced to the kings and the rulers of the world, but his birth was announced to the lowly shepherds spending their nights out in the open. Do you see God's wisdom and justice? Because the self-proclaimed God and Savior of the world was passed over. Instead, the good news of the Savior's birth came to the lowly shepherds. In other words, we raise the question, if God rules the world, how does God reign? And the answer to the question, how does God reign, is God rules by grace. God rules by grace. And Jesus' birth upends our expectations and conventions. The normal expectations and conventions of the world is blessings come to the worthy. The important people are the insiders. But the incarnation of Jesus Christ tells us God befriends the lowly people. The birth of the Lord Jesus tells us that God befriends the lowly and God is gracious to the undeserving people. That's how the incarnation of Jesus Christ turns the world's expectations and conventions on its head. And it's really important to remember this because every Christmas we hear the message that crushes our souls. What do I have in mind? I have in mind Santa. You know how it goes? Santa Claus is making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. He sees you when you are sleeping. He knows when you are awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. Oh, you better watch out. Santa Claus is coming to town. You know, that's the message, isn't it? That's repeated ad nauseum at every Christmas season. But do you realize how anti-gospel that is? You know, an occasion and a season that is ostensibly the celebration of God's gift of grace to the world, what is repeated in our ears ad nauseum is this anti-gospel message of, I mean, the Santa, he knows when you are good and when you're bad. He's omniscient. And Santa's everywhere. And so the message that we hear every Christmas season is of this omniscient and omnipresent Santa who keeps record of every naughty thing that you have done. And you will get what's coming to you. That's the message. Do you see how anti-gospel this message is? And do you see what a soul-crushing message of legalism this is? If indeed, truly, the omniscient and omnipresent God keeps record of all your wrongs and he will give to you what you've deserved. That's a soul-crushing message. It's the message of legalism. God will love you if you are perfect, but he will punish you if you sin. That's works righteousness. But the Son of God, Son of God was born because God rules by grace. Now, what is grace? Some people say that grace is when God gives second chance to people to try again. That's not grace. 
Because grace does not mean a second chance to try to those who have failed. Because if that's what grace is, that's just another form of legalism. You didn't do it right the first time, now try it again. And if you get it right this time, then you will be right with God. That's legalism. That's works righteousness. But Jesus gives grace to those people who have exhausted their second chance. Those who have exhausted their third, fourth, fifth chances. Those who have exhausted their thousandth chances. Those who have proven in their life and in their heart that they are sinners. That there is no way that they can earn God's love and acceptance. It is to them that the grace of the Lord Jesus comes. And Jesus says to those who have failed, those who feel the weight of sin, those who know the misery of life, I, it is to you, it is to you that I give my life. And it is to them that Jesus says, I remember your sins no more. You know, that's the beauty of Jesus Christ. He doesn't keep a list. He doesn't check it twice. And he doesn't say to you, you better behave or else you will get what's coming to you. But he says, I have died for you. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgotten. That's how God rules his people with grace. And that brings us to the last point, And that is glory and peace. In verse 12, we hear the angel uh, proclaiming, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. That there is a beautiful symmetry in Luke's gospel because Luke's gospel begins with Jesus laid down wrapped in swaddling cloths. And Luke's gospel ends with Jesus laid down wrapped in linen. And it seemed to be a very intentional arrangement. The baby who did not have a crib of his own, will be laid in a borrowed tomb. And that's the beautiful symmetry of Luke's gospel. And it is an anticipation of the full gospel message that the heavenly host praised, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, when you visit uh, when you go shopping, you often see written on the windows at this time of the year, peace on earth, don't you? And you often hear Christmas holiday songs that talk about peace on earth. But you realize that's actually just a part of the Bible's message because the full message is glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom God is Please. And so this world is forever trying to find peace on earth without giving glory to God. And it's forever trying to find peace without being in the right relationship to know that God is pleased with you. And let me tell you, loved ones, that peace on earth cannot be had without glory to God in the highest. Peace is not something that we can enjoy unless God is pleased with us. 
That is why the message cannot be separated. It is glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And interestingly, as Luke's gospel begins with this declaration, glory to God in the highest and peace, these themes of glory and peace come to a focus at the end of Jesus' life. So in John chapter 14, a mere hours before Jesus was arrested and crucified, Jesus said this in John chapter 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. The peace that Jesus gives us is different than the peace that the world offers us. Because the world offers us peace if if you are perfect. If you make no mistakes, and what's more, if you live with people that are perfect, and if you live with people who make no mistakes, that's how you find peace in the world. Wouldn't you say that sounds very unlikely to achieve? But Jesus gives peace to hurting and broken people. When life has broken us, when our conscience is burdened by sin, even then, and especially then, we have peace with Jesus. And that's what the angel declared, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, who? A Savior. A Savior was born. And Jesus Jesus is as mild and harmless as a baby to every broken sinner who needs a Savior. And that's the beauty of Jesus Christ and His incarnation. That when we are broken, when we are ashamed, when we are guilty, we can come to Jesus and ask for His grace, and He will be to you as mild and as harmless as a baby. And at the end of Jesus' life, we also hear about glory. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays. This Again, this is mere minutes before he is arrested and crucified. Jesus prays, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And it's very notable that Jesus never asked for glory during his ministry. Jesus asked for glory only at the completion of his work as our Savior. And that tells us something very, very important. Redemption of sinners is Jesus' glory. That is why Jesus never asks for glory from God until his work is done. That tells us that God is glorified when lowly people are lifted up in Christ. And God is glorified when the hopeless people discover a future with Christ. 
and God is glorified when sorrowful people sing with joy because of Christ. That's the glory of our Savior, and that's the glory of our God. So, loved ones, here then is the conclusion. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. He came into the world for you. And in him, in Jesus, you have peace. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgotten. He does not keep a record of your wrongs. But he has washed you clean. And one day, you will join the heavenly host and sing glory to God in the highest. And peace. Perfect peace will reign because on that day there will be no more struggling against sin. There will be no more struggling against the devil or against the world. There will be no more wickedness. There will be no more unrighteousness. For Jesus Christ, he was once wrapped in swaddling cloths in the manger. Then he was wrapped in linen and laid in the tomb. And at last, we will see Jesus Christ wrapped in glory on his throne. And in anticipation of that day, we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Now let's pray together. Jesus, we praise you and we honor you for the grace that you have brought to us. For because of your birth and your life, your suffering and death and resurrection, we have received this joyful news that our sins are forgiven and that one day we will be utterly set free to sing with our hearts restored to celebrate forever the wonder and the riches of your grace. And in anticipation and in hope for that day, we pray that you would encourage us this morning. May all those who are weary, may all those who are broken, may all those who are hurting find grace and comfort from you. And may our hearts be filled with rest and with joy. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.